Genre. Welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Two Towers one minute at a time. I'm Norman Mitchell. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And today we're talking about Minute 45, which starts with Smeagol saying, oh, cruel hobbit, and ends with a shot of the fire swamp. Well, not the fire swamp. Of the fire, the fire. There's no like rodents of unusual size. That's true. (laughs) Although compared to a, compared to the scale of a hobbit, all rodents would look like a rodent of unusual size, just not quite that big. I think it would be the size of a hobbit. Just like a rat the size of a hobbit. I mean, yeah, that, that, that is the, that is the R-O-U-S's from, (laughs) from Princess Bride. Although when he's wrestling one of them, that's just a dude in a suit. Yeah. And it looks really funny. <laughs> I've never once I realized that was a dude in a suit. I've never been able to unsee it. Wrong podcast. Wrong uh. podcast. <laughs> Wrong podcast. So, Gollum is like, he just looks so, like pitiful in pathetic. this pathetic in this minute. But uh, he's he's trying to. I get the I get the feeling that like Smeagol is actually trying to like connect with Frodo. Yeah, like relate to Frodo. And not in like a manipulative way. And that's part of why he's so offended when Frodo is just like, Don't touch me. The look on his face is so um I it's really funny. It's like I, when you shout at a dog. It's not so No. Don't just, shout like, at your dog. Like slinks away. But like the look on his face is just like shock and also like sadness and also he's like offended and it just all of yeah. those together on his little face. And he doesn't look angry. It makes me laugh. And then he goes and like puts his head down. Yeah. He like crawls up and puts his head down like he's going to go to sleep. Well, he's hungry. What else do you do when you're hungry? You got to you got to conserve energy. He just ate a worm. It's not enough. Oh, we didn't talk about this yesterday because we the That's timeline like thing. Starving and then eating a single chicken nugget. That's true. <laughs> just a single, single solitary chicken nugget. <laughs> yeah. So we didn't talk about this yesterday, but we we probably should have because we talk about the timelines a lot. Uh, Sam says it's been two days without sight or sound of a bird. Mm. So does that include their time in Emin Muil, or is have they been on the dead marshes for two days? Uh, well, if Gollum is starving, I would assume they've been traveling on the marshes for two days. That's a long time. Yeah. To be in a swamp. I mean, it's better than going all the way around. Yeah. I mean, and if there's no birds, you'd think that there would be, like, tons of insects, but there's not. No, there's worms. There are worms. I have questions about the ecosystem of the swamp considering what we're about to see yeah. next week but, yeah uh... <laughs> so apparently they um they kind of studied the way that swamps are formed for building the sets for the dead marshes a little bit like and i guess it was a lot of work to get the water still and look so like dead on a set because hmm. it was a lot of work to get this all set up 
especially because they're like they're near they're near like a road and a train station so they need to figure out a way to make sure that the water doesn't like doesn't ripple move when the train passes yeah so they did a lot of work to make this sit still that's cool and they had to like figure out how to dye the water with like biodegradable dye because when they dumped the water if it wasn't like all natural stuff they weren't allowed to just like dump it in the ocean or the river or anything or back into the water table if they had if they used any sort of like non-biodegradable dye they would have had to like get rid of it like trash wise like so they 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 put a lot of work into building the dead marshes working around like you know working with like environmental regulations and like figuring out how to make it still looking at how water travels in a swamp from like pool to pool and like trying to make it interconnected and all that sort of stuff. That's cool. To try to make it look as real as possible. The set looks really good. It does look really good. Uh, you can't even really tell that the fire swamp is like a studio. Yeah. I mean, the outdoor set was a built set too. Right. Like, I don't even know what the point of the fire is. It's cool. It's it's cool. It looks cool. I like Gollum's monologue in this minute when he's talking about the ring. Like, once it gets a hold of us. Like, he calls Sam cruel and, like, Sam doesn't really care. and But but Master does. Like, Frodo does. And then he, like, kind of, sh- like, slinks towards Frodo. And they have, like, this moment where Gollum is relating his experience with the ring. Yeah. Uh but not like not like that straightforward. But like, I mean, it is pretty straightforward. It's like I mean, you know, you know what I once mean. Once it has hold of us, it never lets go. Never. Yeah. Never. He's, he like goes to put a hand on, on Frodo, or like on his shoulder, or like on his knee. I've always thought that he was reaching for the ring. I think that's what Frodo assumes, and we kind of see this from Frodo's perspective. But I don't know if Smeagol really was reaching for the ring, because that would be like so obvious of a move when he's here with the two of them. Yeah. But if he's enthralled by it, like, once it has a hold of us, it never lets go. And then he's, like, reaching towards Frodo. I've always actually read this as a moment of empathy. Like, an actual moment of empathy. And that's why he looks so sad. Yeah, and that's why he looks so sad and offended and slinks away. And it's part of what allows Gollum to, like, regain control of the relationship. Is this rebuke from Frodo. Mm. Because Gollum is not, like, wholly irreparable. Well, we'll... Well... Smeagol's not, like, wholly lost. Right. We'll talk about and Gollum like, versus Smeagol. Right. The, the Gollum more. versus Smeagol thing. But I've, I've always read this moment as, like, an actual moment of empathy. Hmm. Like, Smeagol is actually trying to relate to Frodo. Because he knows what Frodo is about to go through. Yeah, I guess I've never seen it that way. I've always, like, just assumed that he was, like, out of reflex, like, reaching for mm. the ring because he's talking about the ring. He doesn't have like a look of like greed or want in his eyes. He doesn't he doesn't look like he has an ulterior motive. Like the facial expression in the scene is very much like we we are supposed to be empathizing with Gollum but here. But I guess my clue as to how I read the scene is the what he's saying mm. because like it feels disingenuous to be talking about how the ring never lets go of him and then not be calling or called to it. You mm. know what I mean? Like, even if it's not malicious, like, he he had this thing in his possession for 500 years, yeah. and it's calling to him. So it's probably reflex. Yeah, it could be. That's how I've always read it. I think that's completely fair. Because, and then Frodo starts... Yeah, Frodo has his hands hand on the ring. On, yeah, he has his hand at the collar of his shirt, and he's, like, 
clutching it to him and then Gollum is like reaching for it kind of. Yeah. Right. Like whenever you have anything around the ring, I think it's really interesting the way that they frame stuff because it'd be very easy to think of anything that has to do with Frodo in the ring from Frodo's perspective is through the lens of his paranoia. Mm. So it might not be how it really is. Like that scene in um in Lothlorien. Yeah, in the dark. No, in um when Aragorn's like, "Where is it?" Oh yeah, like that that as well. Like there there's that moment, there's like the the night camp scene in Lothlorien. Yeah. All of that sort of stuff. So like how much of what we're shown is through the lens of Frodo's paranoia mm. over the loss of the ring and how much is what's really happening. That's interesting. And then when it pans out again, for the wide shot where you yeah. see Gollum's face, that's reality or maybe like that's like it's kind of hard to to judge all of that because I mean they've said they've said in the commentary a handful of times that like the way that they framed stuff around Frodo is to make it him feel make it look like he's more isolated and more paranoid than he should be or than he is because the ring is influencing him like some of the stuff framed around Frodo is intentionally just trying to show us that he's paranoid. Okay. So it's kind of interesting to me to try to think about pretty much everything Frodo experiences kind of through that lens. Yeah. Like how much of this is really a threat to him and how much isn't. Those unreliable narrator Those, vibes. Right? Because he literally has this corrupt thing around his neck trying to make him run off by himself so that he can get caught by a Nazgul mm-hmm. and do something stupid like he almost like he does in Osgiliath. So does that mean that Sam's actions towards Gollum are also fueled by that paranoia or is that just Sam being a dick? Right? Who knows? The, no, uh, I'm asking you. Like, what do you think? Mm. <laughs> Who knows? Who it is a mystery. It is a mystery. <laughs> Only the director knows. Uh, I doubt he even knows. That's a really hard question to, to like, think on because we see a lot of, because a lot of the, like, dialogue exchange between Gollum and Sam isn't something that you would necessarily think Frodo picks up on like super directly he his mind is somewhere else most of the time but then he comes like he comes to Gollum's aid previously when sam was um like pulls t- him off the rock him around yeah yeah but like where we're seeing all this stuff from frodo's perspective like i think most of what we see of sam is probably accurate but i think some of the some of the tone that we see or like some of the way that shots are framed is there to like heighten the sense of paranoia mm-hmm. and may not be like super true to form because Sam is a pretty nice dude, generally. Yeah. And even he eventually starts to take a liking to Smeagol, at least a little bit. Eventually. Only because Frodo does, I feel. That's, and he trusts that's the Frodo. Way I feel. And Sam trusts Frodo. So, like, at the end of the day, he's just like, well, if Frodo can find reason to trust him. Yeah. Because, I mean, last minute, Frodo took pity on him, threw him some bread, and now he's just, like, slapping Frodo's hands, or Gollum's hands away. Right. It's like a total 180. Yeah. So. But yeah, I really. I've always read that moment as, like, real empathy. And then, like, Frodo's reaction is because of the paranoia of the ring, not because of any malicious intent on Gollum's part or on Smeagol's part. And that's why Smeagol looks so offended. Right, because the next time we see him, it's Gollum. Right. And starting, like, next week. Like, like tomorrow and next, or, yeah, next week, it's, like, not tomorrow. Tomorrow is Saturday. We're not, <laughs> we're not here. Uh, yeah, when, when we, when we next see them in the Dead Marshes, it's, like, Gollum. Yeah. Not Smeagol, because this, this... This rebuke from, like, this relatable moment drives Smeagol back into his own head and Gollum takes control. That's interesting. That's a cool reading of that. I've just always, like, read it from Frodo's point of view, I guess. 
And I, I mean, we're supposed to read things from Frodo's point of view. Right. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're the truth of the moment. I mean, and that's true probably also with, um, like, Aragorn's self-doubt. How much does that color some of the things that we see from his perspective? But that's much more subtle. Than... That's, that is much more subtle than, like, this active force of the ring. Yeah. yeah. But, like, where, where we see things from so many characters' perspectives, and generally the perspective we see things from... There, there's something about that character that might color the way that we see things. Mm. And I, I like to think about that sort of stuff because it, it does matter for like a, a metatextual sense. It's not necessarily important for like just watching the movie. Right. But I'm, I'm all about that meta. I always, I always find that stuff really fascinating. And that ties into like film theory and like how to direct stuff. Right. Like what you want your film to communicate right. on multiple levels to various people and you know some stuff doesn't hold up to a lot of like metatextual scrutiny and some stuff there's just a lot going on and that's you know different strokes for different folks i'm all about that stuff i like it when i can look at something and be like this is what's going on here like actually this is what's going on here like metaphorically and then like what's all this stuff happening in the background Mm -hmm. like what else what does this mean in the greater context of like this movie or this this book or this tv show or anything right so I I always like dive really deep into that sort of stuff. I don't really have any other notes for this minute other than the way that Gollum looks. I think that everything about Gollum in this scene like looks pretty good except for his lips when they're moving. It's it's a lot of like the really small motions like in lips and fingers that I think a lot of times don't work for me with Gollum like looking back or like in retrospect now compared to a lot of other like CG in mm, movies and that's TV shows. Cuz weren't weren't all of those like animated Right. Those are the those are the stuff that's like keyframe animated keyframe animated. Yeah. Uh and it's the stuff that I think's held up less. But that's because like keyframe animation has gotten a lot better in the last you know, fifteen years. Fifteen yeah. years. Almost twenty years. Well this movie came out in O two. Yeah. And it was like being animated all the way up through part of two thousand and one. So, you know, it's seventeen years. But you know, I mean technology's gonna progress. Animation technology, like computer generated mm-hmm. images have just gotten so much more realistic in the last 15 to 20 years. Right. Um, but a lot of Gollum still holds up, like, especially when he's very still. Mm. He usually looks pretty good. If it's a little darker in, like, bright light, he, especially if you, like, pause an image or are looking at, like, a screen cap, he just kind of looks like he's pasted on, <laughs> like a sticker. But a lot of the times when he's very still or, like, parts of him are very still, they look very convincing. Like, the... The night camp scene from just a bit ago where we can kind of see Gollum from behind yeah. when him and Frodo were talking. Those shots from behind where Gollum is very still look really good. Like it almost looks like there's a puppet in the, in that scene. But we know it's not. Right. Uh, but some of this stuff with his face, like when his lips move, it, it doesn't hold up so well. His eyes look pretty good and like his profile his, or his outline looks good. The lips don't hold up super well. I think close-up Gollum is easier to scrutinize or criticize than like wide shot Gollum too. That's true. Yeah. Cause I mean, you're, you're closer. So they had to animate in a lot more detail, which yeah. leaves a lot more room for like, not necessarily error, but things that compared to newer technology don't hold up quite as well. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Although there, there's like hundreds of layers to the animation. Oh yeah. It, it's crazy. And that hair thing, like that thing that Richard Taylor said, I still think about it. It's just like, if he didn't have hair, he'd just look like a gray alien. Yeah, I mean... And not a person. He's not wrong. It's also, like, I think it's telling that Gollum doesn't think of himself 
Like, it's, it's just telling of his age. The Gollum doesn't think of himself as a hobbit. Even though he, he basically is. He's a proto-hobbit. Well, they probably didn't call themselves hobbits. No, they didn't call themselves hobbits then. But, like, he doesn't he doesn't seem to have, like, this inclination that Frodo and Sam are still, like, kind of of the same people that he is. It's because he's taller. It's because <laughs> <laughs> he spent so long underground. Also, like... I, I really question the um the eliminating of the, the goblin orc distinction, especially in regards to Gollum. Because how did he hunt and kill something like the actual size of like an orc, like a a man sized thing that's like way stronger than a human? Well the the orc and Uruk distinction is still there. And right. like orcs are smaller than the Urukai. They're still way stronger than like a normal man. Well, I mean look at the Moria orcs, like yeah. They were they were smaller and they're all hunched. Yeah. But they're still like closer to the size of like Aragorn. Not really. I feel like the Urukai are as tall as Aragorn and then the orcs are as tall as Gimli. I mean the the Urukai are like built like Gimli but as tall as Aragorn. They're like I don't, real the stout orcs and big. Are, I feel like the orcs are smaller. It depends on where they're from too i feel yeah. like mordor orcs are bigger than the ones that have been living yeah. underground the whole time and i think that i think visually too like we haven't really talked about this but i think visually because the mordor orcs are the ones that have the really like the much darker like purplish skin mm. they must have been the orc base that saruman used to make the urukai probably not like Moria orcs, even though Moria orcs would have been easier for Saruman to get. Well, I mean, because he's been in league with Sauron for who knows how long. Right. So that makes sense. So like Saruman, Sauron just sends Saruman some orcs to like use. That's messed up. And Sauron, Saruman's just like, I have a plan for these orcs. You guys go out and patrol. You guys, come with me. <laughs> and they're like, uh, oh, okay. It's like, and then he kills them all and they uses never them see for their experiments. Orc families again. Oh, that's sad. Making me feel bad for orcs. <laughs> An orc baker that never makes it home. Why is he a baker? I don't know. We talk about them having restaurants and stuff. Well, yeah, but, like, why would he be sent out? It's conscripted. It's an evil army. I guess. Then he never makes it home. And his legendary bread recipe is lost to forever. he never makes orc croissants again. <laughs> orc croissants. <laughs> Croissant. <laughs> Hope everyone's having a great Friday. Yeah. Uh, hope everyone had a great week. And I know the episodes this this week have been a little little short. Uh, but we're we're starting to get into some more meaty stuff. Next week, expect some some longer episodes. I think uh, we're from the website duelinggenre.com. Uh, you can check us out there along with a whole bunch of other podcasts in various categories. But if movies by minutes are your thing, you can check out moviesbyminutes.com. It's a curated list of like all of them, uh, completed and ongoing. Uh, as always, a special thanks to our Patreon associate producer, Ed Foster. Hope everyone has a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday. Bye!